0: This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle.
1: This episode of Material Is Your Business is powered by Sennheiser, the future of audio.
2: Hello, my name is Patrick Duffy, founder of Global Fashion Exchange. And the reason why I love materials is because depending on where you find them or where you source them, you get an insight to the person who's wearing it or the culture that you're interfacing with
0: cut the strings, trim away the excess in your personal and professional life, and live without a physical address. Then you can just build a business that supports the world. Coming up, we're going to hear from the founder of a global platform that did just that and is empowering you to do the same.
1: This is Material Is Your Business, a podcast covering the science, technology, and business of materials and manufacturing. Produced by Mouth Media Network. Powered by Sennheiser. Your hosts for this episode are Stephanie Benedetto and Samantha Cortez.
0: Welcome, Mr. Patrick Duffy. How are you? I'm
2: very well. Thank you. So excited to be here. Good. Thank you.
0: Thank you for joining us. We're My excited pleasure. to have you. you. So I know yesterday there was this incredible event and I'm sitting there at the United Nations in those huge conference rooms where <laughs> they give you the headsets that speak the different languages for you, which is just awesome. And you're up there on stage mm-hmm. moderating this phenomenal panel on fashion and sustainability mm-hmm. and because of that topic and your area of expertise we also have here with us today charles beckwith from american fashion podcast hi charles
3: good morning <laughs>
0: <laughs> and you know being in that room and hearing that it was incredible can can you tell us how that came about
2: Oh my goodness! Yes. Uh, first of all, I want to acknowledge the 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 power of what happened in that room yesterday. It was something unlike I've never experienced before, and um, just being being up on that stage in the center of the room, in the the center focal point of everything, and leading those incredible panelists was a bit mind blowing for me, um, and also super inspiring to see like what has been happening in this fashion world and sustainability, like where it's come from and where it's going. So. I just first of all I want to acknowledge all the panelists and also the United Nations and UN uh, DPI NGO for kind of taking that big step forward and um, facilitating that whole thing <clears throat> and then asking me to <laughs> moderate which it was kind amazing. Of, which kind of blew my mind too. Was <laughs> it was packed. It was packed. It was really it was really packed and a quite quite a good looking group too which was always which was always a plus. <laughs> Everybody had an amazing textile on, so that was really nice. <laughs> I went around and feel it, was feeling everybody's uh, textiles. Um, anyway, so uh, it was a big room. It was like
3: it was, a, it was a bowl game of sustainability for fashion.
2: Yeah, it was. It was a, that I put think, a lot of pressure on your wardrobe. It certainly did. I was like, what am you I going to wear? You it? Look good. Thank you. Um, but you know, interestingly enough, about that, I, uh, going into like who I am and what I do is like I, I really many years ago have called. Called my life and called my wardrobe out. So that suit that I actually have is a testament to what I do. I found actually found it on a fence <laughs> about eight years ago, and um, and the thing has just—it's like a tank. It has not—it has not fallen apart. It is not—you know—it just keeps maintains its structure and looks beautiful. So it's my kind of go-to thing. So, anyways, um, going back to your question, which was about uh, the event itself. And, and how,
0: you came to be it. how it
2: came to be there. Okay, so that's a very interesting story. Um, my 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 organization, Global Fashion Exchange, is something um, that you know obviously travels all over the world; hence the name, Global Fashion Exchange. And so we did a collaboration uh, last year with the United Nations Peace Boat, and which is really very interesting. And um, we we did a little information booth um, on the United Nations Peace Boat, which actually has a lot of um, other sustainable um, fashion organizations. And, uh, NGOs on the boat to promote that and they go all over the world so <clears throat> we had a little um, information booth on the on the boat and then didn't really hear much after that until from them until about um, gosh three months ago and then I got a phone call from um, someone um, named Kelly from Fordham University and she said hey I was on the peace boat last year and uh, picked up your flyer and thought we are, you know, we've been wanting to do something at the United Nations for quite a while. And I have this incredible idea. And I wanted to know if you wanted to be involved. And I thought, Oh, that's really Amazing that, you know, $180 investment in those flyers for the peace boat that paid off. We're really excited about that. So yes. anyways, yeah, power, good power promotion. Marketing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And so um, so then Kelly and I started to talk a lot, chat a lot more. And she put an incredible team together. And um, I actually was. Um just supposed to be a panelist which was already an honor to be asked to be on that on that panel of incredible people and then um when they were searching for a moderator um they had many people that they had wanted to to moderate but then they asked me because i had actually given a panel i'd actually been on a panel and put together a panel at the united nations um two years prior so um they asked if I would do it. And I just kind of gleefully said yes, without thinking about the um, pressure that would. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I said, yes, oftentimes I do that. Just say yes. And like, then wait, you know, t- to figure it out later. And, um, and that's how it came to be.
0: <laughs> yeah. It really was like a, a
2: for, me. Call that's out. Came me for me, an
0: amazing call out on yeah. where this industry is right now. Right. Because, Sustainability, we know it's, it's a loaded word. It means a lot of things to a lot of people and especially its applications in fashion, which we all know is, is very damaging. But to see that room packed and that the metrics and the numbers that you were citing and the case studies and the stories of you know where we've come, where we are going, and everybody's so consuming that and so excited to be there, I think is just, <laughs> is just proof in the pudding of where this is. Yeah,
2: I agree. I think to your point too, what was very, very interesting was um, we had so much uptake and so many people excited to be there and listen and learn. But what was very interesting afterwards, the post reaction of people not actually fully really understanding the, the, first of all, how the magnitude of the fashion industry and how big it is, like $3.3 trillion industry, that's a big number. And I think People, what I kept hearing from people was that they kind of thought that the fashion industry was more of a trivial type of industry. It was just fun and fluff, and there was no like real business behind it, which was shocking to me. Because, but that's because I work in this side of it. Um, but also, then an incredible opportunity for for everyone, I think, to really get involved and, and work with within the industry. So it was um, it was just incredible to see a lot of eyes get open and inspiration from people to to walk away and and also have those key takeaways like i was telling people about queen of raw for instance and a lot of young designers are where can i source my fabrics and where can i you know all those types of things so it was just felt so good to be able to deploy that information to people that there are yeah. resources and yeah. tools. many yeah
0: so what exactly just so everyone can understand does global fashion exchange do
2: oh gosh
0: among all the things. <laughs> <I could
2: kill. laughs> um, well, to give it a little context, we st- we started out simply as a clothing swap, and it was just um, basically uh, an idea to be able to engage people in mass. And so, um, you know, I came. I came became familiar with clothing swaps when I was invited to uh, Copenhagen a few years ago um, to really see what they were doing with their fashion week and what they were doing with sustainability. And I was very, we were very inspired by that, and thus came about the program, you know, Global Fashion Exchange, because they actually they had something at their fashion week called the Fashion Exchange, which is a very Danish. You know name for things it's very literal <laughs> and so he we said, well you know that's when I said, well why don't we brand this as the global fashion exchange, and we use this as a way to basically promote sustainability in the industry so it started out really just as this clothing swap with the idea to kind of take it as a traveling road show, take it around the world and basically swap clothes, but then promote sustainability, promote the extent uh, promote the um, the uh, what to do. With the your clothing after there's no life with it anymore. How to dispose of it? You know all the things that go along with water usage and all that kind of stuff. And then it quickly turned into um, more of a communications platform, and we really started to 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 do. We also started to do consulting for brands and people. Um, so brands have come to us. Organiz- NGOs have come to us. Organizations have come to us. And so we really now have turned into kind of a, a consultancy. Um, a global network of people that want to not just swap clothing all over the world, but create change in the industry. Um, we're working with, um, uh, major, govern- brands. Major, major brands, major brands, municipalities. Um, we just did a huge collaboration with, um, a really incredible, um, uh, forward-thinking fashion week called Moda Lisboa, which is um, the fashion week that happens in Lisbon. Um, so we worked with them and did a four-day program during their fashion week in March and um, really were the first ones to bring sustainability and fashion to that culture on that scale, which was incredible. And we got so much um, in- incredible press from it. We were in the cover of Vogue and GQ and newspapers and um, TV and radio and people were so excited because of course, Portugal too is like one of these places that produces clothing and textiles for all of the major, major brands. And so this is, it was interesting to me to go there and actually have this be the first time that it happened because one would think that that would just be naturally a part of, of the conversation there. And it is actually intrinsically because, um, you know, Portuguese, their, their craftsmanship and everything that they do is so woven into, their, their the clothes making culture there but it was really the first time that it was um brought to the table in terms of like how are we going to really address this and how can we really create a change and it was very exciting so to answer your question we it's a communications platform we do consulting and um you know, all different types of things with people now
4: i find it fascinating that um, after the exchange you keep the clothing and you recycle it. Can you talk to us a little bit more about that? Yeah,
2: sure. Um, well, there's a couple things. I mean, I usually like to rummage through and see what I can keep and <laughs> <laughs> that's usually what happens first That's night. why you always yeah, look so like, good. Thank you so much. Um, no, but what we do is uh, so it works like this. We People um, bring their clothing and um, and we create a swapping area. We, mer- we try to elevate the swapping experience by making it look like or feel like a, a high-end department store. So when you you come, you bring in, mo- there's two types of directions that it can go. There's a high street direction and there's a high end luxury direction. So we actually have influencers from media and fashion. They're basically sorting and saying, okay, well, this is Gucci. This goes into luxury. This is not Gucci. This goes into High Street, or this one is actually not even wearable. So that kind of goes into our recycling pile. So the whole message for the swap is about textile waste and textile recycling. We do that through this, this swapping event. So then um, if there's anything left over, which sometimes there is, but usually we do a really great edit of things and everything kind of gets taken out. If there are things left over, like the recycling pile, then we've partnered with um, the world's, uh, we partner with the textile uh, uh, recycler called Ico, I Collect, and they come and help us and basically take the the clothing and then recycle it and turn it into new materials like um uh insulation for cars insulation for homes so and we actually publicize that and show our um our guests at the swap what um what happens to it because that's a big question like you're left with this pile of clothing like how is this contributing so we basically then use that as an education piece and say see this is what you can do with your clothing at the end so yeah
0: and it's helpful because a lot of people, right? You know, you may we all have those clothes that we've edited out. Maybe it's not meant for Goodwill, and we don't really know what to do with it. Mm-hmm. But we don't all have an ico in our backyard. Yeah. That we can go recycle it, or even mm-hmm. you know know where to go or what to do. And mm-hmm. it kind of gives you that that bridge. Mm-hmm. Um, are there any as you're kind of looking at what's going on in? Um, made in America in in the U.S. and sustainability? Are there opportunities and places you're looking at to kind of grow the movement, grow Global Fashion Exchange and other similar events here in the U.S. and also around the world?
2: Oh, thank you. Um, that's a really good question to ask because um, in terms of like how, people ask me all the time, how do you do this? Like, how do you do swaps all over the world? Like, and how, how does it get funded and how do you pay for it? Those are the big questions yep. I get all the time. and. Um, and so to answer that question like so far we've been working on a commission basis with these um municipalities and cities and brands and so we do these large swaps in in cities like Lisbon or New York or Los Angeles and there it's kind of a massive undertaking and so when I thought about how are we going to expand this as a as a effort and as a as a um as a way to create a large impact I thought we can't really continue on this like once or twice a year model because we're not making a massive, we're not touching enough people. And so that's when we decided to launch our um, self-provisional program, which basically is like kind of like a TED Talk in a way. So you, uh, mm-hmm. you, how you apply for a TED Talk, you actually apply for a license of a city or your own hometown to be able to conduct a GFX. So we're calling it Global Fashion Exchange, GFX Local. And you'll be able to apply. And then what we do is provide you with the tools that you need in order to do a swap in your hometown. So I will come on and advise and say, okay, this is your hometown. These are some great resources for you. These are great places to do it. And then we provide a toolkit, everything marketing materials, Um, promotional stuff, all that kind of stuff. And then we help them promote it. We do promotion across all of our own platforms and channels. And so the goal for us now for the next year is to get 100 cities under our belt with this self-provisional program. So if we can then imagine um, 100 cities doing one or two swaps a year, and then we get to measure the amount of textiles that comes into that, um, because our metric metric is about measuring the amount of waste or measuring amount of of clothing. So you have a 10-pound pile, you have a 15-pound pile, you have a three-pound the collection of that after one year with 100 swaps times two or three swaps a year is going to be quite a large number so that answer your Question? That, is, that is that's fantastic right? and Thank you're you.
0: empowering the, yeah. the the consumers and educating at the same time yeah. for us all to be a part of it. So yeah. like move over bars and restaurants and clubs yeah. we're hosting a GFX party at our house and you know, like you know let's have everybody swap it. it become the norm.
2: You know what's really funny Stephanie so I actually come from a nightlife background like when I moved to New York City I was a nightlife uh, I actually was a, a door person and then I was a at night... What
0: club we probably all of to each other <laughs> Marquis I just
2: yes. de- I might have seen you years ago. Exactly, exactly. So basically, like, you know, what's so funny is I have my trajectory, like I didn't start in sustainability or sustainable fashion. I started in nightlife and hospitality. And I literally have done everything, run the gamut, had owned my own restaurant, worked as a creative director for hotels, promoted parties, all that kind of stuff. Anyways, point being is um, I ran into an old friend of mine on the street the other day who still does nightlife promotion on on a large global scale. And I had the idea. It just kind of click, went off in my head. I thought, oh my gosh this is such a great idea to go to these massive nightclubs that are closed during the day on the weekends and use them as spaces for clothing and swaps Beautiful, luxurious spaces. Like, yeah and he's like that's so genius because we're looking for content and looking for new things to do and actually now what he's saying is in nightlife people are really wanting to do a lot more than just go out and party and i thought well let's get them to swap clothes so awesome. yeah so it's actually funny that you say that yeah
0: Okay, we'll be back (laughs) soon, and we're going to find out more about how Patrick is a man without an address. (laughs) Back soon.
4: The superior audio quality on Mouth Media Network is powered by Sennheiser. And as a listener, you can receive a 25% discount on virtually any headphone, microphone, and other high-quality audio product available to purchase directly on the Sennheiser website. Just visit Sennheiser.com and enter the code MouthMediaSenn, that's MouthMedia, S-E-N-N, at checkout.
0: You can find us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Material Biz Show. That's Material B-I-Z show. And hear all of our episodes on material is your business.com and everywhere the best podcasts are found. So Patrick, I think one of the most interesting things that I learned about you right away when I first met you <laughs> at Fashion Week in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm was that you are a man without a physical address.
2: I, yes, I am a man without a physical address. So
0: how did that come about and what was, did that do in that life change to where you are now in this movement?
2: My goodness, that's a very good question as well. Um, so, 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 so. So I had a huge kind of, um, as Oprah would say, <laughs> aha moment. <laughs> you know, I'm sure we've all had one of those. When um, I was uh, basically kind of at the tail end of o- uh, owning my re- having my restaurant, which um, was an incredible you know experience for me, um, and I um, met uh, this woman um, named Ava, who had introduced me to sustainability and uh, sustainable fashion, who now has Copenhagen uh, Fashion Week in the yes. Copenhagen Fashion Summit. So that she she was my entree to that, and I basically went from um, the restaurant to jumping into seeing what the fashion industry was doing. And I'm a very like sensitive person and I had never engaged in fashion sustainability that way. And I saw, all these terrible things happened and then the Rana Plaza was happening and the ecological effects. And I just became very, very present to all that. And it was shocking to me. And so at that point in time, I really had this moment where I felt like I was walking around in like a David Lynch film or like something it was just so surreal thinking like, I can't continue my life the way that it's been going because there's just no purpose to the life that I have been leading except for, you know, schlepping drinks on people and throwing parties and doing all this kinds of stuff. And, and so it was at that point that I said, this has to change. And so I did a lot of self-education on the, on this industry and I did a lot of like kind of soul searching and then, um, realized that with the the effort that I had just launched Global Fashion Exchange is that I was going to go full on into that and, um, become kind of slightly nomadic for my efforts, you know, like, um, because I really wanted to make a huge impact. And so at that point, what I did was just, I kind of got rid of everything. I got rid of literally everything. I got rid of my, all of my furniture. I gave my artwork to my friends and family. I get literally got rid of all my clothing. I gave it away, swapped it out recycled it um and then my lease I just said goodbye to my lease (laughs) (laughs) which was an amazing feeling I was like bye (laughs) bye and so then it gave me this incredible sense of freedom because I didn't have um all of these things that were actually that I realized were actually kind of holding me back and um, me personally they might not hold other people back but for me personally because like you know When we talk about all these things, it's like it was always about maintaining, maintaining the wardrobe, maintaining the house, maintaining the life, maintaining this. And it cost a lot of money to do all that. And I was like, I can't I don't want to be caught in this cycle anymore. So I literally literally just said goodbye to it and then kind of started the whole um, quest for saving the world <laughs> that is a good bold quest. I mean you know we all have to have a goal so um, so yeah I don't have an address and how it exists now because it's a very people say well where do you live and how does this work and you know I hope the government's not listening but um, <laughs> or maybe I hope they are um, where does it work and how do you exist you know I have incredible friends and family that actually you know allow me to stay with them but I also when I do work in other countries I just build into a contract that they provide a place for me like an airbnb or a home or a a hotel for an extended period of time so that takes up time so for instance like what what happened recently in lisbon is they Um, they, you know, um, had me come to the city and I sat with them and consulted with them and we talked about all these programs, which was a two month kind of three month exercise. So I got to go to Lisbon and be there for two, three months, um, with my organization that I work with in, um, you know, UK, it brings me to London for two, three months at a time. And I get to sit with the Tamsin Lejeune who's an icon to me at Common Objective and I get to consult with them and, you know, work with them. And so you know at first it was a bit ad hoc like where is patrick today like how is he where is he going to go like <laughs> Where's what Waldo? couch Where's patrick what, yeah like family? what couch is he going to sleep on like that kind of thing but now it's actually turning into something that's much more well thought out much more calculated and um i don't think it's going to be like this forever but it's an absolutely incredible thing when you have the freedom to be able just to just to be able to move like that. I think like I'm
0: going
4: to start following your
0: footsteps. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's a, yeah. Two or three
4: months, no address, yeah, no
2: exactly. Stay. That is exactly. great. Yeah, it's and good. talk
0: about that aha moment. I mean, I think, you know, going back to yesterday in the United Nations, everyone in that room to seemed to have those mm-hmm. aha moments when mm-hmm. you hear these metrics and these numbers of what's going on in the world today, mm-hmm. but then on the plus side, what organizations like yours are doing mm-hmm. um, to move the needle and really shift and change the world. Mm-hmm. And And, you know, I mean, not to obviously scare people with statistics, but we know, but we know, not everybody knows how damaging the, Mm -hmm. you know, textile industry is. The second biggest polluter in the world next to oil and agriculture of clean water globally. Mm -hmm. And interesting fact, by 2025, if we don't do anything about the current textile production by 2025, two-thirds of the entire world's population, it is known, are going to face shortages of fresh water and be exposed to hazardous chemicals from textile dyeing, mm-hmm. right? That's mm-hmm. not very far from now.
2: No, it's not. It's like tomorrow, basically. Right. It's really? Tomorrow. I
0: mean, this is not your great-great-great-great-grandchildren. This is in our lifetime, in like yeah. seven, eight years. So yeah. it's powerful. So as we're looking at kind of these metrics, um, what information and data analytics have you collected and what have you guys been able to divert from landfill and from waste?
2: So we... We work on one thing, really, which is about, the, the, like you said, the diversion of textiles from going to landfill. And so we've saved – I don't know if saved is the right word. We've diverted, saved about uh, 22, 23 tons from going to waste, which – you know, is a tiny number in comparison oh, 23 to
0: 23 tons. Yeah. That's time. That's, that's
2: yeah, it's a kudos to you. But it's actually interesting when you look at a ton of clothing, it's a massive pile of clothing. Cause of course, clothing is super lightweight. But when you think about the 110 million tons of clothing that could, That get put into waste every year in America alone. That equals three times the size of the um, Empire State Building. It's a daunting task. Like when you think, "Oh gosh, we have to save all that." (laughs) That's what I'm going to do next Tuesday. You know, like that kind of a thing. Um, But you're right. So that's you know, so our what we work on is the diversion of that, and and what we're trying to do is to set a goal to get to um, a million tons. So that's going to take a while, but that's going to take a lot of, you know, um, energy and collaboration, um, hopefully industry wide, people want to come on board with us. But yeah.
0: And those micro communities and my, you, know, it, you yeah. never doubt those powers too. I yeah. always laugh as we've been saving for my business, the amount of water toxins and energy we're saving also yeah. from diverting from landfill. And you know, when you ever do you doubt or question how you are going to change the world and you see those numbers, like 23 tons, it's like, but I, you yep. did that, you know, one yeah. individual, of course, with support in a community mm-hmm. did that. And so, you know, never doubt that you can do oh, it.
2: Yeah, you know true. So
0: obviously. It, it's it, true.
2: It's... I, if I can make another point, I think what you when you said yesterday about the the aha moment with people, I think you're so right. I think right, what's happening right now is like this kind of collective consciousness of this of, of this massive issue is finally coming to light. And what's what's so interesting is, again, talking about the fashion industry, like it's such a powerful, powerful powerful industry like the amount of creative people that are involved in it the amount of um a, a, incredible business people that are powering it it's just like it, it's it's amazing to 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 see and now to be able to forecast when you have companies like caring and H&M and Topshop who Obviously have a lot of work to do. Like nobody's calling anybody a saint here. But when you say, (laughs) but everybody's got a lot of work to do. But, you know, I always like to look at the glass being half full and as an opportunity. So hopefully we can take that statistic that you mentioned and turn that into some, some positivity and get these really powerful people behind it. So. They're
4: stopping and thinking. Yeah. That's a
2: big step. And and some
0: of them are putting their, you know, dollars and money where their Their mouth is. I mean, you know, a lot of people, and I've talked about this before, you know, criticize Mm H&M. It's fast fashion. They're still the biggest consumers in the world of cotton or second biggest. And, you know, they're burning stuff. And okay, like you said, you know, we're not all saints here. Everybody does wrong. But they also did start to put in people's consciousness, they the eco conscious collection, mm-hmm. and they still are, if not the biggest or the second biggest payout of dollars to startups in sustainability with the Global Change Awards. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it, obviously talking again about the the glasses half full, there mm-hmm. is positive. There's always room to improve. That that's for sure.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: I've noticed something. People from the big fashion businesses, the executives and the grave directors if they're interested in sustainability, they will often say our industry has these problems. (laughs) (laughs) If they don't have a sustainability agenda for their company, if they don't really care about this, they will usually say the industry, (laughs) the fashion industry generates these problems. And they're not including themselves, even though they are directly contributing and they're not trying to change anything about it. (laughs) And, it's it's a subtle little thing when they speak that they say either our industry or the industry and the ones who are saying our industry are usually doing good things. And I, I noticed that recently with a couple of different designers um who who are on one side of the fence or
2: the other very clearly.
0: That is interesting. We do need to take ownership.
2: It's kind of like it's kind of like, you know, when you bust a little kid. From putting his hand in the candy jar and he doesn't want to take blame for anything. Like, you took the cookie. And he's like, I didn't take the cookie. Like, they took the cookie. Or you know what I mean? Like it's kind of like this thing where it's just it's plain it's plainly obvious, but there's all that kind of corporate speak that you kind of They're hiding in the mob. Yeah, which is a bit unfortunate. But but
3: I I don't know if it's cognitive dissonance or or if they're doing this willfully it's bizarre.
2: I mean I, I mean I feel like, you know, because we do a lot of consulting for big brands now. And I get that all the time. And I kind of chuckle a little bit because I can just sense when it's coming at me like we have, we don't have a position. And I'm thinking, well, when you're drinking water that's full of, you know, particles that are contaminated, what do you think your position would be? You know, that's kind of how I want to say it in these meetings. Of course, I can't because, you know, it's a little bit ballsy but um you're right like i it's like but i feel like it's masked by this kind of corporate you know
4: but i also think it's, it's it's lack of knowledge of these executives sure it's not necessarily that they're meaningfully not wanting to do anything i mean yes there is a lot of numbers sometimes yeah that that it, it's going to cost them this much oh forget about that you know mm-hmm. my impact is not going to be that big but it's also they just don't know
2: Correct, correct. And then
4: what we're doing and what you guys are doing and just then notifying to people and, and informing them is going to make a big difference. Mm.
0: I think you hit the nail on the head there with what you said too, right? Like they're worrying about their bottom line, their profits, their dollars. But if you can position this, if we can position this as it for people, for planet and for profit, yeah. then it. It's forced to become their, their, them to look at it as well, the NEC level exec who may not. I mean, a lot are paying attention to it, but if they're mm-hmm. not. And didn't Caring do a great job when it published and released its entire sustainability reports, which showed not only are we doing something about it, but here's how you too can copy it. And here's how you too can benefit in your bottom line because it saved yes. us a ton of money. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, whoa, we
2: yeah. should all be. The transparency and consumers,
0: that. the consumers
4: asking, what are you doing? Yeah. And, and requesting that these corporations to do, do something to them yeah. yeah
2: yeah as an example like uh, uh de Castro and Carrie Summers from Fashion Revolution really creating that Fashion Revolution campaign for that i think was such an incredible incredible thing so yeah. yeah.
0: And I know it, it gave tons of momentum all over the world mm-hmm. and people are caring about who made my clothes and flipping those labels and posting mm-hmm. that. And you're right. it. But it takes more of the, it takes that and more to kind of bring it into everybody's consciousness and
2: awareness. To your point, to your point though, really quickly though, it's, I mean, I can, being on their side of the, of their, t- of the table, I can imagine it's a very scary thing. Like if you have a massive corporate you know, a company like The Gap or Hermes or whoever you're talking about, you have a lot of responsibility. And so it's kind of, I can, I get it where it's like, well, we don't know because we have this massive supply chain that we have to think about. We've got thousands of employees we have to think about. So it's kind of a safety zone. So I get, I get where they, where they're coming from, but hopefully we can change it. <laughs> yeah. You know.
3: Well, I want to remind our listeners that uh, Fashion Revolution Day is now Fashion Revolution Week. Week yep. It's in April. And if you go to fashionrevolution.org, you can start planning your events for Fashion Revolution Week to make sure that it has an impact globally and, and get your brand involved. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, no, you're right. And it, it is those things that um, sometimes we get calls not just from the emerging independent designers and the students and the millennials who care about this movement, but also from the big corporations who may or may not have a corporate director of social responsibility, but still don't know where to go mm-hmm. or what to do. And that's where platforms like yours with the tools and the resources of here are the options, the more we can deliver these package solutions that are plug and play and simple, but they just need to be made aware of it, it becomes like an obvious choice it just becomes forget sustainability—the yeah. way of doing business that's good for profit, people, and
2: planet. And also, um, in- interesting point we touched on a little bit yesterday is the fashion media and also influencers. You know, I one of the questions that I asked yesterday is this: a, is this an obligation to somebody like Gigi Hadid, who's got ninety gazillion million followers, whatever how many she has, mm-hmm. to say, like. This is not something that I stand behind. This is something that I stand behind. Like, you know, she's walking on all the runways for all these incredible designers, blah, 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 Like, is that their obligation? I think it's a yes. Like, I feel like you people have these incredible lives, these incredible Instagram accounts, these, you know, you can push one button and make change the lives of millions of people, Kim Kardashian. Like, let's put some... <laughs> if you're listening. You know, like, let's make some social, respons- <laughs> socially responsible lipstick that you can sell, you yeah, know? But a, of, <laughs> but a lot of
3: these people are just vegan so they stay skinny. Yeah.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs>
3: it's not care. It's yeah. just... Yeah. No, but it gives them
0: a new angle, a new story, a new counter culture kind of thing, and they're always looking for that way to differentiate themselves. And you know, interestingly enough, talking about Gigi Hadid and a few other influencers, you know, I have seen her and them wearing a lot more of these independent designers' Mm -hmm. artisanal goods. And so whenever we see that, we try to share it on our if it's someone in our Mm -hmm. community and tag the designer because they're doing it. They just may or may not even be talking about it, but.
2: Well, we, as an example, um, so we just launched um, with Global Fashion Exchange a few days ago, our new campaign. And um, we have a incredible, incredible uh, celebrity star who I absolutely love. She's called Jamie Clayton. She's on a television show called Sense8, which is a net- big Netflix, very popular mm-hmm. Netflix show. And um, luckily, I've been friends with Jamie for quite a long time. And luckily, I have... Uh, uh, she has been so supportive and, and, and there for me, at, you know, every step of the way with what I do with GFX, but she's also been, um, a person who has been involved in sustainability and ethical fashion for a very long time. So she's always been interested in it, which, you know, a lot of people are now new to this conversation. Anyways, point being is, um... I was searching for the next step or the next evolution of what we were going to do with GFX. And of course, we wanted to make it look and feel like a real fashion campaign or Vanity Fair because I wanted people to look at it and say, wow, that's elevated like swapping is chic now like we have to do this and so naturally she was the first person that I called and um, we did a photo shoot with her in LA with um, an incredible photographer Gabriel Magdalano, who's another friend of mine and we produced um, a campaign which we just uh, released um, on gfx.com and also our social I saw congratulations thank you thank you and we reached out to Vivian Westwood um, Rashid Stepidis who's the head of couture there who is also a huge proponent of sustainability as you know Vivian is a big um activist, and so they were really wonderful to provide the clothing that we created this swap like campaign with and so it was it was incredible so in when we're talking about fashion influencers, um you know Jamie got behind it, and she posted on her on her instagram account and I mean, I've never seen numbers fly so quickly. I'm sure Gigi Hadid does, but when I saw like she posted this picture and in three minutes had you know thirty thousand likes, I just thought Whoa. in a second, yeah, it was like. Wait a minute, 30,000 people just saw that and just digested that this is about sustainability. That's incredible. Like, and then you looked in the comments and you saw all of these comments, not just about how amazing she looks, but about the project in and of itself. And so it was just this really kind of amazing tipping point conversation. So hopefully we can do more of that with people. Like I would love to see, you know, Anna, Wint- Anna Winter in an Instagram <laughs> post like. Yeah. Waving a sustainability flag.
0: Well, my dream has always been for one of these designers, and don't steal this idea out there, anyone. But is a reject runway where it's like an underground during fashion week with all the remnants and excess that they didn't end up using. And yeah. everyone just wraps up in it and walks the runway. Yeah. And how raw and edgy and cool. That yeah. is still my dream. I'm going to make it Do happen. Do make, make it happen. Um, but yeah, but you know. Yeah. You don't make it next season. No. Yeah. A lot of people are
3: listening to the we show. <laughs> so you've been in a nightlife business Mm -hmm. and you've been in the restaurant business and now you're in the sustainability business. Where's the money in sustainability for people who, who should be making these changes?
2: Oh my gosh. That's a really good question. I think there's actually a lot of money in the sustainability fashion business because like, as to the point that you were making before people don't understand that. First of all, innovation is a business in and of itself. And like, when you look at, when you look at, say for instance, um, Like, if we're looking at a company and we say, where is this company now in a curve? Where is this company where they sit in relation to the rest of the industry? And how do they want to move forward? Well, just by looking at that and making, you know, you, you can react to something like say, for instance, Whatever fashion brand decides never to change their business model until something happens, like until you know we can't drink any water anymore. Well, that's going to cost money to change, and somebody's going to make money on that. And so, do you see what I'm saying? But the innovation side of it, if somebody comes in and says, "You know what? You can actually take this and use it as opportunity, and we can make we can make." profit and the planet and people happy, there's many opportunities there. So I don't know if I can go anything super specifically, but...
0: Well, to the point of what you're doing, right, though, you're yeah. doing this clothing swap. And obviously, my focus and passion business has been in diverting the, the textiles, pre-consumer sure. waste from landfill. And people don't realize it; these big businesses, but it's a huge liability on their books right now. In the world, in that's factories, a hundred billion—that's a b billion dollars worth of excess raw materials just sitting in their warehouses, collecting dust, costing them money. Wow! And like, can you—if you monetize that—that's you know a hundred billion dollars worth of goods, and mm-hmm. and you can stop paying these liabilities going forward. So, anyhow, the, I think there is, but you're right. It's what are the procedures? What are the processes? How do they become aware of it? And how do they move it?
2: Mm-hmm.
4: It's about taking off their hat and thinking about the entrepreneur sure. version of anything that they're going to do. Mm-hmm. It's basically, that's how you get into a business and make money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In the sense of looking at it in a, yeah, that's a sustainable really
2: good, way. It's a really good point.
3: There's an interesting documentary called The Founder, which is about the, the guy who kind of ran away with the idea for McDonald's. He wasn't actually the the creator of mcdonald's there were these two brothers but he's the guy who scaled it
2: huh. and i saw this recently it, i it's saw really an article about this recently yeah it,
3: it's the it, it's a lot of the business leaps that mcdonald's made in simplifying kitchens and, and things for for making it very efficient to produce fast food mm-hmm. and one of the things was um they found a powder that they could make milkshakes with. Mm-hmm. And so they didn't have these giant refrigeration costs anymore, and they could make milkshakes quickly because milkshakes hmm. took time to make. Yeah, But you could just mix this up, and it's a milkshake. Yeah. It's not really a milkshake. It's a powder that's... Made, <laughs> yeah. but, but it tastes like a milkshake, and the consumer will drink it. And they got rid of this massive cost. Yeah, And it took a long time for other people to start using that same product to do the same thing and now most of the fast food places use the same sort of thing for their soft serve and for their milkshakes because it's very efficient yep. and cooling of ice cream when McDonald's was started was very expensive yep. because refrigeration was very inefficient at the
4: time mm-hmm. okay mm-hmm. i don't want to eat drink i mean shape everything <laughs> <in my life.
2: laughs> What's also really interesting about that, though, is I remember reading about that and I thought, gosh, there's a parallel to that in the fashion industry because I think it was Ray, the Koch brothers, Koch, Koch, the Koch brothers, Koch brothers, Koch brothers, yeah. Right. Okay. Um, What's interesting about that is the two people that actually started the business did not have any dreams of scaling it. They're like, nope, we just want to do this and it's good and it's for the town and we have no interest in scaling it. And then somebody else came along and saw Opportunity and so i think that's where that conversation gets linked here is these we have these businesses that are existing now and they're not seeing opportunity in sustainability which is something that i obviously and absolutely do and i think that's the that's the key tipping point is pr- promoting that there's so much opportunity for jobs for money for innovation for all this kind of stuff in this industry and to your point like with caring publishing that that's a huge huge thing so i think it's coming yeah. we just need to keep banging on the door <laughs> now, Samantha, are you
3: monitoring the machinery that's mm. transforming the textiles that that's recycling them? Is that stuff starting to get more efficient
4: well i actually i was fascinated with the um the in in one of the factories that I went to visit in Mexico how they pot the fiber and um, it turpied the garments and converted it back into fiber mm. to create garments. Yeah. I mean, the technology is it, it, it obviously needs to develop a yeah. lot more work and a lot more development. And I mean, it's very hard for the these factories to persist because the fiber is not that soft hand that you get.
0: But mm-hmm. you can
4: get rags for. For sure. your tabletops or a little bit heavier. So there's a there's a lot of work that needs to get done to to to, to upgrade and doing, but they are doing. They I feel are, like they're they getting, getting more and going. more
0: luxurious. I've been feeling more recycled cotton blends that are more the hand, even though the fibers are a bit shorter, but it is getting mm. less coarse and soft. But the the big issue is that most of the
4: companies are doing the denim with spandex.
2: Yeah, so that's that, the that big
4: issue. portion
0: it's gets totally – but the brand new report now that just came out in Sourcing Journal, apparently we can start to do something to recycle spandex. Oh, there wow, is okay. a new, new initiative way. and potential movement. Did you read it? Yeah, that just came out. So it one. literally days ago. So oh, I know we've talked a lot about spandex before, but it, it is again, talking about, about polyester. Oh
4: uh, yeah. <laughs> well, so I mean, there's little wins, little, little wins. Little by little, 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 yes. little, we'll get there. So yeah, definitely, I'll be looking into that a little bit. So very. That's a very interesting, interesting
2: question. Yeah. Like, what does what does a brand like H and M or Topshop or like what are all these fast fashion brands that have built their businesses on these fabrics like polyester or yep. you know what are they going to do? Like, how does this how is this going to pan out for them? So I I'm, think
4: that the machine companies are working out. They, you have a better mm-hmm. better a view and in looking into these machine companies doing something before the ambition as well,
2: unless no, the consumer sure.
4: are really giving the pressure.
2: Well, in, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, but we look at that, but then we look at the toxic effects of the materials. Like when you're washing it, the billions of the micro particles that get into drinking water. It's like, again, that social responsibility conversation mm-hmm. is do mm-hmm. we sell our customers stuff? That's not good for the work. Like for, you know, so it's, it's really going to be interesting to see I what think happens it's just, there,
3: there, there <S laughs> is biodegradable polyester it's just pennies more per yard yeah and it's not used i mean on on large scale it's Mm. not used Mm. um i think there needs to be a legal requirement for for polyester coming into the united states to be biodegradable and that would force all of these factories to convert Mm. but it's also i think a patent issue somebody owns the patent on Uh. that and if the law was changed to force that, then they could ratchet up the price <laughs> even more and it would of become unworkable. <laughs> yeah.
0: But talking about regulations, obviously, yeah. a, a major win for Global Fashion Exchange, especially in New York, may be that new regulation on the books. Well, not new. It's been around, but that's now being enforced. We've talked about it on air before, where if you're making, I think it's 10 percent or more of your waste is textile waste. By law, you must recycle uh, oh, it, or yeah, you are yeah. now they are enforcing those fines. And so, you know, Global Fashion Exchange and other uh, versions of it are going to be. A huge opportunity because people—that's going to affect their purses. Yeah. yeah.
2: Yes. that's great, Yeah. Yes.
0: Yeah. We had Jessica. Love yes.
2: Jessica. She's great. Yeah. So
0: right, but but nice to see. Obviously, we all the ecosystem yep. and that everybody working together. We can do this. And mm-hmm. just
4: everybody looking at their label and just doing what they need to do and saying, you know what, I am not purchasing this if they're not going to do their their end of the deal.
2: Mm-hmm. That's it. How amazing was Amanda Carr yesterday from Canopy. Yes. When she said I got very excited. you were amazing. Like so just to give the 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 audience um a little bit of a picture I was sitting on the panel and I asked the first for the first question and you raised your hand and I was so thankful you did because you were right in front of me. <laughs> you made it very Go easy. Charles. And uh you asked the question about why what was it exactly why is it not more Well so I I don't have a fashion Education.
3: Yes. I didn't go to FIT or Parsons, or um, and so I came into the fashion business sideways, and I had no idea that materials like rayon and tensile and all of these, I guess they're they're called viscous materials, mm-hmm. um, are made from trees, mm-hmm. and that this is contributing to massive de- deforestation. Mm-hmm. And she kind of showed some slides, mm-hmm. and my mind was blown, and I said, "Can you talk about this more?" Mm-hmm. Um, and does anybody know why this isn't from on the cover yeah. of Women's Wear Daily, why this isn't on the front of business of fashion. Mm-hmm. Why aren't why isn't deforestation from the fashion business a massive concern? And not because it's sheep grazing. It's because we're cutting down trees and turning them into clothes. Which seems like a great thing because if you have managed forestry, that's wonderful.
2: Mm-hmm. But, but
3: if it's clear cutting, that's not so wonderful.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah very very powerful to see you weren't you were not the the only one that had a reaction when i saw everybody's face it was kind of like whoa you know it was a very very powerful moment so again educating the consumer is like a a huge thing here so
0: the aha moment yeah how we're going to change the world we'll be back soon with some personal questions for patrick right after this
5: Do you remember what we used to say about running? Oh, somebody bigger had to chase you. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. I'm BJ Smith, and that's exactly how I felt about running most of my life. That was until one fall day in 2011. I was chasing my son in the backyard when... Something had to change. This was the beginning of my journey to becoming a runner. One that would take me from couch to marathon in less than two years. Now I'm setting my sights higher. This is 16 Weeks, a new podcast from Mouth Media Network, following me on my journey to get into shape while keeping up my obligations at work and still being there for my family. And I'm not doing it
1: alone.
2: My name is Keith Smart. I won a silver medal in Beijing.
1: I'm a sport and exercise psychologist at ECU. Coach athletes all over the world. and I'll
5: talk training. with experts about challenges all runners face, like figuring out how to make time to run, what to eat, and how to train.
0: You got so dehydrated. Your heart rate went up and it felt like you were working so hard.
3: Everything's trainable, whether it's run form, strength. That's all trainable, and so is our thinking.
5: Subscribe now to 16 Weeks on iTunes, Google Play Music, or wherever you find great podcasts. Together, we can do this.
1: And now, now, it's it's Remnants. remnants. So
0: Patrick, I know you are a big traveler, obviously, (laughs) a man of the world with no physical address. I know you've been spending a lot more time in the UK. What are you doing there? Why do you love it?
2: Um, well, first of all, if anybody from Airbnb is listening, I would welcome a sponsorship. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so the UK, gosh, um, I have an incredible family there. I um, To back it up a little bit, I was actually coming from Australia where I do a lot of work as well. And, um, you know, my, my, my cycle is to go from like New York, Los Angeles, Australia, and then back up through um, – through to the UK. So about last year at this time, I landed in the UK and I went to do a little site visit with my friend Tamsin Lejeune and all the people from Ethical Fashion Forum um, because she's been such a huge supporter of Global Fashion Exchange. And I just did an office drop in to see how they were doing. They invited me for lunch. And um, it ended up being like three, four times that week where I came to the office and I happened to be bring somebody in that was like, oh, you should talk to Tamsin or oh, you should talk to this person. And um, we ended up, just kind of really, I've had a lot of fun in the ethical fashion forum office for the week. And so then um, at the end of the week, Tamsin sends me an email and she said, you know, would you like to have lunch with me this week? And I said, absolutely. She said, let's go have some sushi in the park. So I said, great. So beautiful day in London in the park. I went and sat with Tamsin. She said, you know, we're looking for, we're looking for someone to fill this position because we're launching this new platform, blah, blah, blah. And I naturally, I said to her, oh, that's great. Well, maybe I can help you find that person for this position. And she looked at me and said, well, actually, no, we think that this person is you. We've been talking about this in the office and we think that you're a really great a really great candidate because of what you do. You're traveling all over, you're spreading this message, you've got Global Fashion Exchange. So that then became this conversation where then um, we talked about what she was doing, which was launching this new incredible platform called Common Objective, which is basically the match.com slash LinkedIn of the fashion industry, where you can... Basically, do fashion better. You get to log in, you create a profile, you log in and you can do um, everything from finding supply chain, marketing, advertising, um, su- you know, sustainable fabrics, textiles, all that kind and of stuff. And the
0: application is awesome. I've done it. Yeah. It's like, it's like a Match.com and we're yeah. you, what, what, you know, here are these pictures and what do you like more and what are you more interested in learning about and it learns your behaviors yeah. and your profiles. Very cool.
2: Exactly. So to, be, to answer the question, what do I do in the UK? Well, they offered me this incredible position which has given me um, this new insight, you know, because Tam's in an ethical fashion forum and her team, you know, have had years and years of experience with a, a building this, and now, you know, this new platform has fifteen thousand. Something like 15,000 relationships built in with 140 based in 141 countries. So she has a lot, a lot, a lot of data, amazing members that are populating this. And it is just incredible what's happening there. So, yeah, it's awesome. so that's what I'm what that's what I'm doing there. And what's great about it is now we have a partnership, um, GFX and Common Objective. So when I go on my traveling road show, it just makes it makes sense. <laughs> I open up the trunk of the car and I say, you know what, well, we've got this too. Um, but what's amazing is here is we've already met with organizations like CFDA, um, Cradle to Cradle, uh, Fashion Group International, um, many different designers. And so providing them, you know, with solutions is incredible. So it's, yeah, it's been an amazing journey there in the UK. So hopefully we get to meet the queen one day.
0: (laughs) (laughs) On the
4: bucket.
2: Yeah.
4: I kind of heard that you worked out, you work out twice a day. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It slipped. Sustainable. Yes. I'm just wondering what is your first or uh, what type of exercise do you, yeah. What type of exercise you enjoy the most? Yeah, sure. And why?
2: It's such a funny question. So, um, because like, It it all comes back to um, people say, where is my home? And my home is actually with my friends, my family, and in my brain, right? So in order to keep my home clean and fit, I have to make sure that it's clear all the time. So... The very first thing that I do when I wake up in the morning is I, I literally get myself out of bed and I go to um, exercise. So like my eyes are still shut and I'm on my way to the gym or on my way to something and it becomes a meditation process. So in the morning, I generally like to do lift, lift, lift and push lots of heavy things around <laughs> <laughs> um, and exert a lot of energy because then it just gives you this kind of clarity and peace going into the day. And especially with the subject that we that we all deal with, it becomes Because I'm such a sensitive person, if I don't do that, I find that I feel that everything is really overwhelming. So I start with that, like pushing really, really heavy things around in the morning. And then I take a break and do everything I need to do during the day. And then I've recently have discovered um, power yoga, which is an amazing way to kind of end things. And so... um, Basically, uh, I discovered this little yoga studio here in Tribeca called Lion's Den, which is a hot yoga studio. So you do every amazing thing and there you go and you bend and stretch and sweat and da-da-da. And I've learned about this thing in yoga that they call your drishti, which is your focus. So, <laughs> so basically those are the two things, the heavy lifting and then the yoga helps keep things going. So when
4: did you start working out in the sense of extensively or?
2: You know, it actually relates to the fashion industry, which is so funny. And um, when I was younger, I uh, was actually, I was um, qu- quite a robust little guy and, um, and I, was always made fun of and thrown into lockers. And I was like, kind of bullied. And um, yeah, it was a really, yeah, it was a really terrible thing. And so um, from that, interestingly enough, um, I kind of had this mindset, um, you know, actually looking at fashion magazines and looking at fashion media that I wasn't good enough. And I wasn't like, you know, I wasn't beautiful. And so at that point, um, when I was really young, at 16, 17, I grew five foot two to six foot, three in like a week. And luckily, you know, I, I stretched out, but one thing that always um, was in my mind was that. And so I used to actually exercise um, with an, with kind of a negative, um, uh, how would you say it? Like, I Attitude. didn't I didn't I didn't think that I was good enough. So I was doing it with negative implications or negatives. But then I realized that that's a bunch of BS bull hockey and uh, it took a while to do that. And now I use it as a way for it's a strengthening activity and it's a it promotes and ties into every single thing that I do. So actually, it's interesting because it's it rooted in in the fashion industry too.
0: And now (laughs) we did touch on this, but you're obviously an influencer of your own. with something like 40,000 or more followers already and growing rapidly. Mm -hmm. So, you know, obviously props to you and everything you 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 you. built and done. Thank you. The movie yesterday, exactly what you were describing.
4: That's why I was like, that's weird.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Um, we,
4: it was um, interesting.
2: You know, um, there's actually these two amazing women that were my that were um, that were the founder or ambassadors of the swap that I did in Los Angeles called Lisa and a Lily Mandelbaum. and they have something called Style Like You StyleLikeYou dot which is incredible. They raise awareness for exactly just that, and they have a project called What's Underneath, where they basically sit, they basically take people and put them on camera in front of a brick wall, and they take all of their clothing off and they talk about what has happened to them and how the fashion industry has affected them and watching you know i've known them for a few years and i watched them when they started and i've seen where they've gone now and they've created a massive movement of awareness which has really turned the fashion industry on its head because they're saying it's not about fashion it's about style you're beautiful you're not you don't have to subscribe to these things, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. And, um, and it's really been a powerful thing for me to watch that. So that's a part of the inspiration Do So check it out, stylelikeyou.com. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Any final message, final thought to leave our listeners as yeah. you reflect on your personal professional life?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, one thing that I always say is like, I hope that some of the people that listen to this, like think, you know, that they can do it. Like I, didn't have any experience I didn't have any not experience but I didn't have any formal experience in sustainability in this industry I did all it was all self-educated I'm all self, completely self-taught um, which again provides you know I look at it as an opportunity but the point being is that I, if I can do what I've done in this short amount of time in three years going from like you know, dancing on a table in a nightclub, <laughs> or whatever Woo! that is. I might do that again one day. My yeah, life. me too. Yeah, <laughs> I'm still a fun person. You know what I mean? Like, anyways, but going from that, from going from that to sitting in the seat that I was at yesterday at the United Nations and really, you know, doing this, then I want people in, you know in smaller communities or in their own communities or in their own towns or whatever it is to know that they actually have the power to make change. And like it, I was laughing because the other day, you know, I always say this, I want to change the world. I want to change the world. I want to change And it's quite a robust and large, big, bold statement. And some people think like, wow, he seems really like into himself that he thinks that he can change the world. And it's like, no, that's not the point. The point is, is that we all have the power within us to actually do something to make a change. And that's, what we need right now. So hopefully I can, these hopefully whoever's listening, if they have a tiny idea or something that they want to do to cha- to make a change, then the, re- you know, the resources are there. There's three other people sitting at this table that could probably help them make it happen. There's a world of the internet that can make it happen. So hopefully to inspire that change, that's awesome. it. Awesome. Just that's do it. it.
0: So how can our listeners connect with you and with global fashion exchange? Yeah. yeah
2: you can just go to globalfashionexchange.org. Um, To be honest, I'm such an Instagram person. Like if you want to shoot me a direct message on Instagram, I love that because it's it's a great way to connect. And then I get to see you and your visual profile. I think Instagram is like one of the best things on the planet. And
0: you're at Mr. Patrick Duffy? Yes,
2: MR Patrick Duffy or Global Fashion Exchange, that Instagram as well. But um, just I think do that. It's so easy. Yeah. Thank yeah, you yeah. so thank much. Thank you. Patrick, no, it's been amazing being here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
0: And for Samantha,
3: thank adios. You. Thank, adios. Charles. <laughs> See you later. Thanks, uh, Charles.
0: And for me, thank you guys so much for listening. Go change the world, everyone. Yeah. Back next time. Thank you.
1: This has been Material is Your Business. To suggest guests or content for the show or to become a sponsor, email us at podcast at podcastmaterialisyourbusiness.com keep up with the show on social media at material biz show that's material b-i-z show episodes available on itunes stitcher and google play along with our website material copyright 2018 all rights reserved no portion of the episode may be distributed or published without the express written permission of the producers thanks for listening